Ecclesiastes 10. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. <clears throat> if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. <clears throat> Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of God. The Bible begins with two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Uh, most of you have probably read those chapters, but I wonder if the tree of life stands out. If you remember it as something that was important in that teaching, the tree of life is not that intriguing. <laughs> in the midst of trying to make sense of Genesis 2 and all of these strange details, the tree of life could go by as an important, but, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's something, something curious about that tree. And I think there's probably a, a number of things about it, but there's something about the word evil that's more interesting <laughs> You know, it's really hard to write a good book or movie that's just upbeat, positive, and good. Um, if there's something wrong, if there's a problem, there's more intriguing. It, it, it makes for a more dramatic story. You read through Genesis 2 and 3, and the tree of life is there. But our interest naturally goes to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The promise of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in, in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve, that's that story, are deceived, or they're tricked, is they seem to think it will make them wise. A New Testament perspective on that is in Romans 1, talking about the human condition where 
in, in aiming to be wise, we became fools. That what we thought would bring wisdom actually didn't make us more wise, but, but made us uh, foolish. And, and so the book of Ecclesiastes that we're looking at, we've been looking at it since September, is part of the biblical wisdom tradition to, to help make us wise, but it's a really hard book. It's a hard book uh, because it confronts us with the challenges or the realities of evil and suffering in the world. And rather than offering easy solutions, it shows how those tear down the, the simplistic arguments that we haven't even gotten to yet to try to answer things. And yet, if we're really looking to grow in true wisdom, not in a superficial way, uh, but to really grow, at some point, we have to, to deal with all of the problems in the world. And the book of Ecclesiastes is going to help us with that. Uh, but I think one of the things that the book of Ecclesiastes does is it, is it helps us work through the reality of life in a world that's filled with good and evil. If you really study Genesis 1 through 4 in a lot of details, uh, get, all, get all the details in your head, and then you read Ecclesiastes, you'll see that so much of it is woven into the book. And I think one take on the book as a whole is where it talks about, where there's a phrase in the book that, that comes up a lot, life under the sun. So, so the, the person we're reading, the learning from, we call him Koheleth. That's the Hebrew word that he's referred to. He's not an atheist. He believed God exists and God is part of this, but, but he doesn't have that, that presence of God. He doesn't have the fellowship of God. He, he doesn't understand death. He only knows that it's guaranteed to happen, but, uh, but can't tell us much beyond that. So he's grappling with life in this world, a life with good and evil. And, and he's helping us gain wisdom but, but it's also elusive. That's one of the problems is, is learning is not easy. It's hard because the reality is that, that evil um, has the kind of effect that it makes it harder to, to understand good. Um, the knowledge of good and evil, you introduce a little bit of evil, a little bit of foolishness, and it starts to distort things. It starts to change things. And so... Uh, what we need, what, what, what Ecclesiastes tries to bring together for us is, is a kind of perspective on how to live that takes into account that we, we don't know all things. We thought that we could become wise, perhaps becoming like God, knowing everything, but we're not like God. We don't know everything. And therefore, something like evil, we can't understand it. And, and once we've gotten close to it, it makes it hard to understand anything. And yet, the book of Ecclesiastes makes clear that foolishness is not acceptable or commendable. On the one hand, he'll say something like, look, everyone dies, the wise and the fool. And, and a foolish conclusion would be, well, then why, why be wise? I mean, he even raises that question. Why bother being wise if we're going to die? And yet he constantly shows us that, that wisdom is, is a worthy pursuit and foolishness is something to be avoided. And I think what he's doing is he's trying to to deepen our wisdom beyond superficial, beyond the kind of things that we get today with a life hack. If you're already wise and somebody has a quick three-minute video to give you a tip, it could improve your life. Your life could become better. The problem is if you're not wise and you're constantly filling your life with the next new tip, you could be wasting your time and going nowhere. The book of Ecclesiastes is not going to let us get away with that. It's going to confront us with hard realities and say, if you're, if you're pretending death is, is far off or it or you understand it, or if you have some simplistic view, if, if your analysis of evil in the world is too neat, 
well, then you're not ready for what the world is going to give you. And so if you want true wisdom, somehow you need to account for that. And what's interesting is we're warned to avoid folly. We're also told to look at people who have joy, <laughs> that that could happen. And, and so how do we hold all of that together? Well, today, the section that we're looking at is a list of proverbs, a list of sayings, and we can't look at all of them. We can't go through all of them. And they're not meant necessarily meant to teach one singular lesson. But, but one of the things that we see in the sum of them, because this, this uh, sort of fits traditional biblical wisdom teaching, these wise sayings like the book of Proverbs, it reads like the book of Proverbs. One of the things that we'll note if we bring them all together is that they do create a picture that, that the foolish life should be avoided. So, so that's what I want to spend the bulk of the time talking to, about today is the problems of folly. Um, and this is an important thing to note as we're going through Ecclesiastes. Wisdom, you will not arrive at knowing everything. You won't be able to control things such that you could have a perfect life where you, don't, uh, where you aren't subject to disaster or suffering. That would be a misunderstanding of wisdom, a shallow view. But let's be clear, we don't want to be foolish. And so I want to look at three specific things as we, as we uh, try to group some of these proverbs together that remind us that uh, the, there are problems with folly. We don't want to live foolish lives. So where I want to begin is that the foolish have a faulty reading of the world. Uh, you misinterpret the, the world as a whole. See, see, if you're wise, you won't know all things. You'll make mistakes. That happens. If you're a fool, you'll occasionally get things right, <laughs> but most consistent with your understanding because of how you interpret things will be choices, actions where things don't go well. So we're urged forward in wisdom to make sure that we don't uh, fall into the pitfalls of, of, of folly. And, and one of the reasons we, we stay stuck in folly is because we misunderstand, we misread the world. The wisdom tradition is going to force us to look at the world and and gain understanding in it. So one example would be our, our uh, desire for celebrity. That would be an example of a, of a misreading of the world. You know, everybody wants elements of what we assume comes with a celebrity life. We want to be recognized and seen and to be accepted and approved of. We want uh, resources, we want money, we want to have prosperous lives. We want influence. We want power. All of these things. And celebrity culture could be Hollywood, but these days it could be YouTube and TikTok. Uh, desiring these things are fine, but, but, but the, the longing for celebrity is an example of a misunderstanding of things. Because at the end of the day, yes, uh, celebrities have a lot of popularity and a lot of influence and perhaps prosperity. Um, but not all of them are wise and they don't hold on to it or the cost of getting it and maintaining it. They have to compromise ethically. Uh, they have to wind up using uh, drugs and all these sorts of things to, to maintain a life that looks a certain way, but isn't really that way. It's foolish. Uh, we should know from all of the stories of, of disastrous lives or people who attain celebrity and say that it's empty and meaningless, that we shouldn't pursue it. And yet it seems like the bundle of all that we desire, but that would be a misreading of things. Now, is the problem with popularity or with wealth or with influence? No. Somebody could be very skilled and able. And that skill and the value of it brings attention to them and people accept and approve them. 
and they're rewarded for their use of skill. And so they become uh, financially wealthy. And then they have a position of prominence and so they become powerful. The problem is not with those things, but but the right path would be that they would they would arise from a wisely lived life. Most of us, we wanna to get to celebrity quickly. And therefore, rather than adopting wisdom, we, we go after the superficial, the secondary things. And we make a ruin of ourselves and we, we give false impressions. We create a, an unhealthy culture and we all suffer because of it. Verses 16 and 17. Uh, so, so not a lot of Twitter uh, in the days of, of Ecclesiastes, but, uh, but who is the celebrity? Who is the person with power and wealth and authority? Royalty. Verses 16 and 17. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Does that mean a, a king can never have a celebration? No, but it means if the, if the person thinks that the ultimate reason to be a king is that you get to celebrate, well, then maybe you should go into being somebody who throws parties and has events, but don't take the responsibility for ruling a group of people. But if you're ruling a group of people, celebration should be part of your life, but that's not the starting point. That, that, that's an outworking. Uh, and, and this is, this is um, a problem that most people want to be kings. We want to be rulers because we want to be in charge and we want to have wealth and we want to have parties. But that's not wise. And, and what we find here is that, that true wisdom uh, is going to be a, a little bit more complex and nuanced. Rather than saying they have wealth, they have power, they have popularity, I'm going to aspire to that life. Uh, but to look for something different. So, for example, the, the Proverbs uh, that, that begin in verse 8, I'm only going to read verse 8, but this section. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. So, so here's a nugget of wisdom that, that makes sense to us, especially as we think of the problems of foolishness. You know, a, a fool may dig a pit for, for entertainment. You know, maybe let's dig a big pit and then sit back from a distance and laugh as people fall into the pit. And, and, and we would think, you know, the likely thing that will happen is the kind of person who does that lacks enough sense that eventually they're going to fall into their own pit. But the proverb doesn't say that falling into a pit is, is an act of justice or vengeance or the outworking of folly. This is Ecclesiastes. Who falls pits? Well, people who dig them. Now, why do people dig pits? Well, sometimes you could get, you know, the spiteful fool who wants to have entertainment in watching others fall into a pit. But people who want to eat might dig a pit when you don't have the, all of the, uh, when you don't have a supermarket to go to. As in the ancient days where you, you dig a deep pit and then in the morning you go and look in it and see overnight if an animal fell into it. If it did, you have something to eat. That, that's actually wise. So digging a pit could be an exercise of wisdom. So then what happens when a wise person falls into the pit? Not because uh, you know, they're, they're foolish, but, but they dig a pit to trap a, an animal and then they build a fire uh, in order to cook for their family and their young child goes to run towards the fire and the person who loves their child goes to run and save their child but doesn't see the pit and falls into it. See, that's different. That person didn't fall into the pit because they're foolish or because they deserved it. And the book of Ecclesiastes is giving us the kind of wisdom to say, well, this is the nature of life. He who digs a pit will fall into it. 
Um, what kind of wisdom principle do we take from that? You know, there, there are these, these videos on YouTube uh, and in other places of, of people who will uh, set out a bicycle and they'll lean it against the fence or a tree and they, they'll take a very long rope, like a hundred foot rope, and they'll tie it to, to, to the back of the, the, you know, the frame of the, the bike, some part that you can't see it and tie the other end to the tree or to a pole or something. And then they just turn the camera on waiting for somebody to come and steal the bike. Now, it's an interesting thing. You wonder, you know, how long do you have to, what kind of world do we live in that you could set it up and capture people coming to steal the bike? You'd think, well, well, shouldn't we live in a world that somebody sits there for a month while the bike is sitting there? But, but there are tons of videos of people that walk by, they see the bike, they don't see anyone around, they look both ways, they get on the bike, and then they ride the bike as quickly as they can to get out of there. And they go about 100 feet and all of a sudden they get to the end of the rope, the bike stops short and they go flying over the handlebars. Now, why? One question is, why are people taking the bike? Another question is, why am I watching people falling off of bikes that are, that are trying to steal them? You know, there's something strange about that. Now, you know, if you like slapstick, you know, there's this impersonal, I don't know the person. But if the context was different, if somebody showed me a, you know, a picture of, of somebody in their family, could, you know, uh, my cousin's in the hospital, look what happened to him you'd have a very different reaction. I think one of the reasons we watch those videos is because there's a sense of, you know, sometimes they're called instant karma. Karma, not a Christian principle, but the idea of reaping what you sow is, there's something there that says in a wise world, that's what should happen. A person who's gonna harm somebody else by taking their bike, what they should do is they should go flying off the bike and get hurt themselves. <laughs> that's the kind of world that, that's, that's when we think of, of a wise world, that's what you get for stealing a bike. The problem is in, in, in the experience of bike stealing, the, the rope or some version of it, the chain, the bike lock is up front. <laughs> it's not usually hidden. And so the person who uses their wisdom to break the lock then rides off as fast as they can and they nearly never fall off the bike. But the kind of person wearing a helmet with lights on, wearing a green vest who's very careful, riding in the bike lane doesn't see the pothole they fall into the, to the pothole, they tumble over their bike. That's the world we live in. The bike thief gets away, but the person who's careful gets into the bike accident. That frustrates us. What we want is a world where the person stealing the bike gets hurt and where people who are wise and careful don't. But Ecclesiastes is saying, sometimes the serpent bites him who breaks through a wall. So that could be the invading army. You wicked people, what are you coming in doing, trying to tear down our wall? Well, maybe there's a snake that you don't see that will bite you. You get what you deserve. But what if you're doing renovations in your home? <laughs> we want a bit more yard. Let's break down the wall. And, and you're wise and you have a plan. But, but in the process of doing it, a serpent comes out and bites you. The book of Ecclesiastes is saying, look, you know, it's not arbitrary to make good decisions. Live wisely. The fool will get what, 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 they, what, what they deserve to a certain degree. So the person who steals a bike may not have a cord attached to it, but they're not really getting away with things. The kind of person who's stealing bikes, maybe they get caught, maybe they don't get caught, but, but there's folly built into that way of life, that, that way of life won't go well. But if you think that you're more moral and upright and intelligent and therefore understanding everything that life will go well and that, and that nothing wrong will ever go. Well, then, then you have some progress to make in wisdom. So you're wiser than the fool, but you still have to learn that, that, that sometimes things happen where there's not a clear explanation. And the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us, well, don't accept foolishness. The world is random, no use trying. 
but also wisdom has to prepare you to live life in this world as it is. Um, and so the book of Ecclesiastes confronts us with death, for example. It reminds us there's no getting around this. So if this is true, how do you live well? And you see elsewhere in the Bible, Psalm 90, a psalm that might have been written by Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. That's how it begins. In it, there, there's the line, teach us to number our days so that we would gain a heart of wisdom. There's a sense there that, that the book of Ecclesiastes seems morbid. Morbid. Why, why is this guy obsessed with death? He's saying, if you don't understand the brevity of life, you're not going to understand wisdom. You'll, you'll progress to a certain degree, but you're not really understanding the world as it is, and therefore you're misreading of things. So when you, when you, when you fall off your bike, though, that you were obeying the traffic rules, if your only thought is, what did I do to deserve this, uh, then then you need to understand the complexity of the world a bit more. And so, uh, so one problem of folly is a faulty reading of the world. And the obvious fool reads everything wrong and constantly brings harm to themselves. But on the path of wisdom, we still have to learn. And we're going to learn we haven't understood the world. And yet uh, the Bible is going to teach us. And so there's hope there. Now, here's, here's the second area of what I, I want to, uh, how I'm grouping some of these Proverbs together. Uh, what's the problem with foolishness? Well, there are unwanted outcomes. Uh, the impact of being foolish is that uh, while living wisely and morally and intelligently doesn't mean that you'll avoid all problems, um, you will minimize <laughs> your problems. And, and so the fool doesn't learn their lessons and therefore their life is filled with frequent unwanted outcomes. And so, so these Proverbs remind us that, that while wisdom doesn't guarantee a perfect life, um, living a foolish life carries its own problems. And a little bit of foolishness works its way in. And, and therefore, we need to not accept a superficial view of wisdom, but we need to really grow in wisdom. So for example, verse one, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now, I don't know how a dead fly uh, exactly causes a stench in a perfumer's oil, but, but the image is clear that you, you, you get the fly in it, and now the whole thing is maybe, um, if you're in a store, maybe you don't want to buy it. And so it's interesting how Ecclesiastes seems to influence, at least in the English language, we have this, this phrase about the fly and the ointment. Um, and even the last verse that we looked at about uh, the bird who goes and, and tells somebody, you know, we have this idea of, uh, you know, when somebody asks you something and you don't want to reveal your source, you say, a little bird told me, you know, Ecclesiastes 10, not the most compelling book of the, of the Bible, but you can see how these ideas have shaped the imagination. Uh, so here's this fly in the ointment. The lesson is made for us, even if you don't understand how, you know, what is the fly in the perfume? How is that corrupting the whole thing? I don't know, but the, but the lesson is clear. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. This is the problem, uh, that, that, that you want to grow in true wisdom. You don't just want to learn a few tips to get your life together, um, because if you're allowing foolishness to remain, its influence will, will work its way through. And, and wisdom in the Bible is uh, kind of what, what Melissa today alluded to Justine's teaching last week. It's not just about information. Uh, it's about ethics too, but it's not just about ethics. It's about willpower. And it's not just about willpower, but it's this whole comprehensive thing. 
And yet a little bit of folly, a little bit of sin, a little bit of uh, moral temptation, a little bit of failure to, to be humble enough to learn and to reflect, that winds up working its way into our lives so that our lives are filled with bad decisions and we have unwanted consequences. And so um, personally, individually, we should be seeking to grow in wisdom. So for example, verse 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. So, so there's, there are, are wise ways of doing things. So you have an instrument that's helping you with your task, but it's blunted and so it's not effective. So, so you could work harder or you could work smarter and so wisdom will help you. Either you sharpen it or you, you bring in other tools. And, and so one of the problems with a foolish life is um, simple things are hard because you're not willing to do the hard work and you never get to the hard things. And so the wise are, are willing to, to reflect and to learn and apply their intelligence and their willpower and all of these things so that you are able to engage this increasing complex, increasingly complex uh, life. And so wisdom is beneficial. Um, but verse 18, through sloth, the roof sinks in. You know, the fool says, you know what? This is going to be hard. Why bother? <laughs> Why waste my energy rather than applying myself? But then the problem is rather than fixing the leak when it comes, I'm just going to ignore it so I have more time to myself. But now the roof caves in. And now the problem is overwhelming. <laughs> I could have prevented it. This is the problem of the unwanted outcome. And, and so the, the, the Bible makes clear that living a foolish life should be avoided. But, but the individual fool is a tragic figure, um, uh, but, but, not, uh, but not a hated figure. It's when the fool rises with power and influence that all of a sudden it's not simply somebody to look at and learn a lesson from, but now it becomes a problem. And that's the kind of problem that we keep coming up against in the book of Ecclesiastes, where there is oppression, uh, where uh, in, in verses five and six, he describes it, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. He's using wisdom categories. There are people who have, uh, who are moral, who are intelligent, who are humble, who are hardworking, and the world does not always reward them. <laughs> and there are people who will play the game and they're foolish and they're deceptive and sometimes they rise to the ranks. And when a fool uh, is an obvious fool, they will make a ruin of their life. And it's, it's pitiful, it's sympathetic. You wanna help them, you wanna learn from them. But when somebody has power and influence and they're a fool, now this is infuriating because they're not simply making a mess of their own life, but they're making a mess of everybody, everybody else's life. So he describes that. He doesn't describe individual folly as an evil, but he sees this ruler, somebody in a high place, but is a fool. That troubles him. That's the world that he's grappling with, this, this world of good and evil, where, where sometimes people who are foolish have power, authority, and influence, and that troubles him. And so one of the problems of folly, the, one of the problems that the wisdom tradition is saying is you don't want these unwanted consequences, certainly in your own life. But if we're going to accept a superficial world where we're not really asking the hard questions or, or confronting morality and ethics, uh, the fact that we die, um, issues of justice, uh, 
who is God and what does God think? The, the kinds of questions that the book of Ecclesiastes are filled with, if we just play the foolish superficial game where we desire celebrity, power, and influence, it's not simply that, that we don't have good lives, but, but it's like the fly in the ointment. A little bit of folly has its influence. A little bit of folly in your life and maybe you won't accomplish your goals. A little bit of folly in the king's palace. Well, then we're going to go to war that we're not ready for. And a lot of people are going to die. That's a problem. So the book of Ecclesiastes is pushing us past superficial wisdom. And so here's the third thing uh, that I just want to highlight, trying to group together a couple of these proverbs, some, some ways that we could learn that we're being warned that the life of foolishness is to be noted and avoided, is that uh, there's an inevitable exposure of folly. So if a little folly, like the fly in the perfume, um, causes a stench, um, a little bit of folly in our lives needs to be dealt with. Not only will it bring unwanted consequences, but eventually it's going to come out. And this is the, the problem is the fool ignores it doesn't problem solve the issues in their own lives. But sometimes the problems are so hard to understand or hard to deal with that it's not foolish, but, but ultimately winds up being foolish that, that we, we try to work around it to cover it up so it's not seen, so it's not having influence. But the reality is if the fly is in there, it's gonna cause a stink. And so true wisdom it's not easy to attain. It takes hard work. It takes humility. It takes wrestling. Um, is needed because if we allow folly to, to hold a place in our lives where, where it's interpreting how we view the world, um, and we're acting in ways that we're not really aware of what the consequences will be, or we don't learn the lesson from the consequence, eventually that foolishness is going to come out. So in verse 3, even the fool, who, when he walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now, he doesn't explicitly tell people this. He may not even be aware that he's a fool. It's, it's in the way that he walks. Eventually, he's going to show his folly by anybody who's around him or who's with him or who observes him. And so you don't want to be a fool because your, your, your foolishness will eventually become apparent to everyone. And so what do we do is... Um, well, what we should aim to do is to, to gain wisdom. But here's the problem of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> There's no understanding evil. There's no fixing it. There's no grasping it. And, and once you've gotten a window into that, now it's hard to make sense. It's hard to interpret the world and see the goodness and to have any hope that, that wise living really makes sense. And so you say, you know what? I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bury it. I'm not going to act on it. But here, here's that, that last verse that we read, verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Um, so what is that? It's, 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 it's a proverb. The, the idea that, you know, you get angry with the person with power and authority, and you go home and you close your door, and, and you're nowhere nearby, and that's when you let out what you're truly thinking, rather than dealing with it. And then somehow, somehow that person finds out. So maybe the CIA has bugged your room. Um, maybe you're, you know, 
your, your, your window is open and your neighbor heard you yelling. You have no idea. But, but the idea here is sometimes we, we think that we're crafty and it's, it's a way, you know, like gossip. I'm really going to share, I'm going to confide in this one person who will never tell anyone. And then they wind up telling. But biblical wisdom says it's not sufficient enough to keep your mouth shut. Um, uh, but in that, even in your thoughts, because at the end of the day, theologically, God sees all. So, so you fool everyone. You, you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. And so are we accepting, allowing our foolish thoughts to maintain, remain, our, our immoral thoughts, our foolish impulses, our, our corrupt desires? Do they stay in us and have an influence on us? Well, the wisdom tradition says if it's there, it's going to affect you. It's going to influence you. And so the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes is a hard book to read and make sense of because it seems so cynical. And, and yet it really is pushing us to wisdom. And, and the lesson at the end of chapter 12, uh, as the book as a whole is presented to us, is, well, here's the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. I mean, that, that's what the book as a whole, the details are meant to somehow get us to that end as the book is given to us. Fear God, keep his commandments. But those are not the last, that's the, those are the last verses, but that's not the last phrase. The last phrase of the whole book, uh, chapter 12, verse 14, gives the reason that we should fear God and keep his commandments. Verse 14 of chapter 12, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And so that's the thing. Do you want to be wise? Don't, don't try to be somebody who looks like they're wise. Don't be somebody who acts wise. But every hidden thing eventually will come out and will be known. So don't allow foolishness to remain in your life because it's going to change how you see things and it's going to bring unwanted consequences. But eventually it's going to come out. And so the last line of the book of Ecclesiastes is every deed, including every hidden thing, will come out, whether it's good or or evil. And if the book of Proverbs presents to us a tree of life that we could gain wisdom, the book of Ecclesiastes, in a sense, this is my, my take on it, in a sense is saying, this is what happens in a world of good and evil. This is what happens when you've eaten of that tree. That now, it's not that we've known more about good, but evil has, sure. has made its way in and has changed how we perceive and understand things. And so, eventually that needs to get dealt with. You can't go on and have the best possible life in this corrupt world. Somehow you need to deal more deeply. And the book of Ecclesiastes is going to confront us with the kinds of things we don't want to think about. And it's going to quickly dispel a lot of the easy answers that we give to say, do you want true wisdom? Well, you need true wisdom because every hidden thing will eventually come out because at the end of the day, who is wise? Well, God and God sees all. There's no fooling God. And that creates the kind of problem that chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes doesn't answer for us. You know, actually, the interesting thing is in any, cha any chapter as a whole within Ecclesiastes, there's often some encouragement, something offered to us. And even here, you know, you can, you can make these biblical links where it talks about happy is the land when the king is noble. Well, Jesus announces a kingdom. I mean, right there, there's a, a gospel principle that the good news is that we do have a king who rules with wisdom and justice. Uh, but, but going on this, this deeper theme, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, cha chapter 10 at least, gives a picture to us of, of, of the problems of folly. And it also tells us, but, but wisdom is not going to guarantee an easy life. 
but Kohelet is not giving us an answer here. And so, so you need to look within the context of the book, but I think for our purposes today, what, what would be helpful is to look more broadly and especially a, a New Testament understanding. And so, so here's the last thing I want to talk about is, uh, you know, what I've just been talking about in these three points is the problem of folly. But, but what is the way of a wise life? That's where I want to end. So I mentioned the book of Proverbs, which, you know, so the wisdom books are, are um, Song of Solomon, uh, Job, Ecclesiastes, each of them bringing an angle. Uh, but the book of Proverbs is this collection of sayings. But before we get into the sayings, there's these nine chapters inviting us, come and, and join with wisdom. This is how you live a good, robust life before you take these individual Proverbs and you think about them and meditate on them and, and bring them together. And in Proverbs 3, part of this invitation, it says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. That's verse 13. But then verse 18 of Proverbs 3, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Now, again, this is, you know, my take for today. This is not a deep principle, but, but this is a bit simplistic. But, but for today, the book of Proverbs promises if you, if you gain wisdom, it's a tree of life. I think the book of Ecclesiastes is warning us that the knowledge of good and evil was a terrible choice. And so, so the way out is, is to gain wisdom. And the way that wisdom is presented to us, ultimately where the Bible is going is through Jesus who comes and wants us to learn from him and to trust him. And what's so interesting is how much Jesus talks. He doesn't always explicitly use the language of wisdom, but he talks a lot about life. <laughs> he has come that we would have life in its fullness. He has come that we would have eternal life. Je Jesus keeps talking about life. And the reason the gospel is such good news is because anyone who's done the kind of hard work that the book of Ecclesiastes confronts us with, which is to say, now that we have tasted the fruit of good and evil, we have gotten ourselves into, into a, the kind of hole where, where there's no way out of it. Is there any way back into the garden? Is there any way to have access to the tree of life? Jesus comes and he promises life. If you've been tracking with the wisdom tradition, there should be something that says, <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that you're offering us what we lost and we no longer have access to. But now Jesus is coming and he's promising us life by making us wise. He, he is, in a sense, a tree of life. And so you go back to Genesis 3 and, and the serpent tries to deceive us, um, in a sense, by saying, I'm offering you wisdom. There, there are things you don't know. God told you not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, God knows when you eat of it, you'll become like him. The implication is you will, you will know as God knows, but, but that was a lie. We, we now know evil, but we still don't know as God knows. We don't know everything, so we can't make sense of it. So, so the serpent says, I will show you the way of wisdom. And then Jesus comes in and says, well, I will show you the way of life. And that actually is the way of wisdom. That, that's what we see even in Ecclesiastes in these, in these various verses about joy. The person who has joy receives it from God. That's what the tree of life is. God, God put the tree there in order to bless you, to feed you, that, that you would have what God offers to you and receive it and have life. We were warned about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't understand evil. So trust me, God, who has given you good things and don't mess with evil. We thought instead of eating what God has provided, we might do what God said we should not do thinking that we would become more like God. And that parallel between the serpent and Jesus, where the serpent says, 
if you eat of this tree, you will become more like God. And we found actually we became less like God. Jesus says, if you really understand what I'm doing, you will see that God has become like you. See, these are very two different agendas. The, the deceiver promises you something that sounds good, but he can't deliver on it is not true. If you listen to me, you could become more like God. The one who actually wants to give us life says, in order to give you what you forfeited, I will become like you in order that you can become like me. Jesus opens once again the possibility of life that has been closed to us because a little bit of evil has come in and worked its way into everything. So now there's a lot of evil. If you think about the wisdom of God giving trees, what could we do with them? We could cut them down to make fires, to burn things and, and stay warm and have food. We could build houses with them. And yet the same wisdom and knowledge that we use for that, we also could cut down trees and we can make crosses and we could torture and kill people on them. And, and the compelling case to trust God rather than the voice of evil is the voice of evil is, is offering you something you don't understand that will destroy you. And, and the God who created the tree of life and warned you about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the one who sends his son into the world and he takes that tree that you've fashioned in the shape of a cross and he allows you to nail him to that one because he's showing you that the foolishness of our world will magnify the wisdom of God, that, that God has always been the life giver, the provider, the generous one, the one that we should have trusted. The shift in the book of Ecclesiastes of true wisdom is, is out of this self-serving thinking that we could understand and control things. It confronts us with the fact you never will. But there is a God, and when you see that he gives you things and you receive for him, then you could have joy. Then, then you could have life. Ecclesiastes is saying, that's the best that I've seen. I've observed that in other people. And what he hasn't seen is the offer that Jesus makes to us. And so in the book of Colossians, uh, now reflecting on the ministry of Jesus, talking about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, that's Colossians 1. In Colossians 2, Paul, who writes that book, He's hopeful that the people of this church, and this would be true of all churches, that they would reach, I'm now reading from Colossians 2, verses 2 to 3, that they would reach the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, all, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The book of Ecclesiastes doesn't give us all the answers, but it raises a lot of the key questions. What we're told is if you understand those questions, there is no answer outside of what God will provide. But God has provided Jesus Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what we're told by the one who comes to announce life and gives it to us by confronting death in order that we, who will eventually have to face death, can have life. What we're told is if, if we set our hopes there, if we receive what God has given us, if we listen to him like we once would have done, well, then the treasures of wisdom and knowledge will be uncovered. You will, you will once again have the possibility of a truly wise life, not just an external superficial one, where, but one because of the grace and life of God, where the emptiness of, of your heart is filled, where the corruption of your own mind is, is renewed and dealt with. And that's what we get. In a sense, none of us can, can go back to Adam and Eve's situation and undo what they've done. 
there's the tree of life that isn't even talked about, but there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't have that option. But Jesus comes and says, now, once again, God is offering you life. And you could receive it. Or apart from God, you could try to make sense of this world on your own. And what we're told Jesus is presented to us is uh, he's the one that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are to be found in. If you want to be wise, receive life from God rather than trying to build a life apart from God. Because that path, Ecclesiastes quickly gets us there. Think through it. That life apart from God, it will always be destructive. If you believe in Jesus, it's not that you're going to know everything and that everything is going to go perfectly, but you will be connected to the one who has the treasures of wisdom and, and he will show you how to live in this world that you don't understand and where you suffer with the confidence that the outcome of your life, even if you've made a series of bad decisions, will be life. Whereas you could be pretty intelligent and pretty successful and savvy and make a lot of good decisions. But if your ultimate decisions are wrong, it will lead you nowhere. And so Jesus tells a parable that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The one who knows it's there goes and sells everything in order to buy that field. Now, again, the framework is not, I'm looking to buy a field. It's if the treasure is there, I'm going to drop everything. And so if you look at that superficially, so, so do I really need to sell all my things to get that field? <laughs> You're not comparing the field and what you have. You're recognizing if treasure is in the field, sell everything. And by owning the field, then you will have everything plus more reclaimed. Jesus is saying, that's what it's like. When I say, follow me, drop everything, make sacrifices, it's not going to be easy. We think, boy, is it worth it? Do I want this religious life? Do I want to give up my life that I think can be like it is in order to have this religious version of a life? And we're missing that Jesus says, I'm offering you life and the treasures of wisdom are in me. What I'm saying is, if you put everything aside and you come here, you will find that you have not really given anything up, but that whatever you gave up will be found in greater abundance. And, and now, through me, through life in me, through trust in me, through learning from me, through walking with me, you will start to have an uncovering where, where the world starts to make sense and where you start to understand and you start to experience joy. Is it a guarantee you'll know everything and control everything? It wouldn't be wisdom if that's what, what's being promised to you. But it's wisdom, it's life, it's saying, but if you, if you receive from God and if you learn from God and if you trust God and if you're obedient to God, well, then your life will have a whole different outcome. And so I'm gonna end with just another verse from Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. Here's the admonition for the Christian. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's how you get wisdom. You understand that the days are evil, and there's no getting out of it. But are you learning the will of the Lord? Are you trusting him? Are you learning from him? Are you, are you depending on him? If you are, well, then you could walk wisely in the midst of this evil world. You may not have the knowledge of all that's good and evil. But if you're eating from the tree of life... <laughs> You've got something far better. That's the way of wisdom. Jesus offers it to us. Receive it and, and live that life. Let me pray for us. Our Father, a little bit of foolishness in our lives can be disastrous. All of us has made mistakes. All of us 
have evil thoughts. All of us have regrets in life. Lord, we know there's grace, but we keep doing it. We keep misunderstanding. We, we, we keep surprising ourselves with how little we can make sense of things and how stupid sometimes our choices are and their consequences. Lord, we know that we can't live perfectly in this life, but we do want to change. And we pray that your spirit would help us to see what you really offer us in Jesus, not simply a few tips on life, but, but life itself. Lord, may we receive that life humbly by faith so that life would work its way into us and renew our hearts and minds so that we would gain wisdom, so that we would live better, so that we would not be fools and destroy ourselves and others around us, but we would also recognize that in this world, there will be hardship. But if we trust you, we will have increasing and abounding life. Lord, we need help. Some of us are really discouraged. Some of us are in the thick of dealing with consequences for bad things we've done. Some of us are trying to make sense of suffering and we have no idea why. Lord, we need wisdom to get through this and to endure it. I pray that your grace would be uh, powerfully worked out in our church community today, that everyone who is with us today would gain the kind of wisdom that comes through Jesus Christ and would be ready uh, to live this week in your strength and power. Do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.